0: is the rebel author podcast where we talk about books business and occasionally bad words Hello Rebels and welcome to episode 165 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm talking to Sarah Cannon all about planning for authors. It is, shockingly, almost the end of the year. I cannot fucking believe it. And my plans for next year have already changed. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it's ridiculous, but I do get a lot of energy pennies and excitement from from planning, uh, despite the fact that literally no, never has any of my plans ever gone gone to plan, I should say. Uh, But anyway... Last week's question was, what country is top of your bucket list? Edwin Downward uh, said, as someone who has never travelled further than he could drive with a night's layover, I don't have a bucket list country. Technically, I don't have a bucket list. I could say whatever country a fan con is prepared to fly me to. Heather Button said, I've been exceptionally lucky to see many of my bucket list countries, but what remains right now is Germany and Ireland. This week's question is, what have you learned about yourself this year? It's a reflective question, we're we're approaching the end of the year, and I have been doing a lot of reflection uh, about who I am, about what I'm doing, the risks I'm taking, the the journey I'm going on, and uh, who I was like a little while ago, so I thought I would ask you guys the same question. The book recommendation of the week this week is a patron's book, Stanley B. Trice, and the book is called High School Rocket Science for Extraterrestrial Use Only. So the blurb goes, At the start of his junior year in high school, Timothy becomes an orphan when his dad dies. He wanted to believe his dad was an extraterrestrial rather than the drunk that people called him. His dad didn't start drinking until his wife, Timothy's mum, died two years before. Like his mum, there was no funeral for his dad just strange relatives arriving to take him away. The relatives did not come back. Timothy was left alone with his inheritance, an unusual rocket formula, and a different type of rocket engine. He also has an address to place on the other side of the rural um county timothy arrives at a farmhouse where the high school janitor eddie greets him with suspicion retired from nasa eddie has a redstone rocket and mercury capsule in the farm silo someone eddie knew at nasa put the rocket and capsule there eddie called him et So if you like the sound of that and you read uh, young adult, uh, sort of middle grade young adult books, then this one is for you and I will leave the links in the show notes. So in personal news and update, woo, it's a interesting one. (laughs) So, okay, first of all, before I dive into my personal update, it is Black Friday week uh, and so therefore I am running a bonkers bananas bonanza? I don't fucking know. A big (laughs) sale. I am running a 30% discount on everything, literally everything. All my books, my audio book, and my courses. So if you would like, and this is, so this is if you buy direct. So if you buy direct from me on my website, uh, if you buy the courses from me uh, or my audiobook on my site, then you can get a 30% discount by using the code BLACKFRIDAY30. And I will leave a link in the show notes uh, to my books and to the courses. The other thing that I have done is I have pulled together a gigantic huge list of deals for writers. We've got all kinds of stuff from 50% off Jenna Morecy's new book, Shut Up and Write the Book, which I got to read and it's fantastic. Really, really good for beginners. If you are new to writing, you absolutely need to read this book. Um, We've also got deals from Angela Ackerman, One Stop for Writers. We've got Pro Writing Aid. We've also got Fictionary. There is just a stack of awesome deals. And so if you are looking at software or um, any kind of deal, then you need to check it out. The other place where you can go and find deals is if you are an ally member, so the Alliance of Independent Authors, then um, they are also running a huge huge discount for all of their, um, partners. So the partners are, um, vetted before they get onto the partner list and they include things like editors, copy editors, proofers, designers, book cover designers, formatters, uh, audio help, things like this, software, all kinds of stuff. So I will also leave a link in the show notes to that. So, in personal news and update. Well, I finished the book. <laughs> it is now with uh, my critique partner and for once my wife is also really reading it. I know, I don't, I'm I'm terrified to find out what uh, she thinks. But anyway, my wife is also reading the book. Um, And this is the book that is going out under the pen name. So I've had a lot of questions. And, you know, will I ever tell anyone the pen name? At the moment? No, but I might uh, in in, in the future, depending on what I do with it and where it goes. I, yeah, I've sort of alluded to the bit, this book that I've been writing on, writing up yes, writing on? No, this book I've been writing on Instagram, uh, where I, that's the place I mostly update stuff. So, but I obviously have not mentioned the name, the pen name or, or the sort of genre or anything. So I spoke with my coach and I was meant to start writing the next nonfiction book. Well, I kind of have started writing it. I've got 5k already in the nonfiction book and I don't think it's going to be hugely long. So this is the um, villain's journey, the anatomy of unlikable characters. So I've started writing it, but I'm hitting pause temporarily. I think I'm going to go back to it in late January, because in order to give this new book the best chance possible, because of course, like all of you listeners, I would like to spend my time writing fiction, uh, which means I need to get my fiction selling, uh, especially in this new genre where I'm starting from zero. So in order to give A brand new pen name with like zero followers, zero everything—the best chance possible. I do need a second book. Now, this first book took me 33 working days uh, to do. So I tracked all of the data. It took me uh, 16 days, 16 working days to write it, and 17 working days to edit it. So my goal for book two is to reduce that under 30. Ultimately, I would like it to take me five working weeks. I think to write a book, not that I would become a book a month author because I don't that's I don't I don't think I could sustain that pace I can do it in short Burst, but then I need to rest, right? So even though I can write quickly, I don't think I can sustain writing quickly forever month on month on month. For me, I'm still trying to get to this point where I can write about six books a year. That, that's my personal goal. That's probably not very many for some of you listening and probably fuck loads for other people, but that's what feels right for me personally. So that's where I'm trying to aim at. Um, and so at the moment with, um, what's it called? With, with 33 working days, the way that I have worked it is that I get four working days a week one of my days so the fifth day of the week even though it's a Thursday is my podcasting day my meetings day and my admin day and I do a lot of my freelance on Thursdays as well so I work four days a week for myself and then one day a week on kind of everything else Uh, so that means it took me eight weeks and one one day to get this book done so I don't want to work the math out live on air. But anyway, I need to shrink that down a little bit because, of course, I don't have all 52 weeks. We've got school holidays and so on and so forth. So, this is why I'm tracking the data because it's really important to me to have some kind of realistic schedule so that I can actually be more consistent. Oh, shudders, shudders at the word consistent, but uh, so that I can be more consistent with. Um, like a production schedule and knowing when i'm realistically and likely to be able to get books out because that only helps your business systems so if you don't track your data this is this is maybe a motivation for you to track your data so that you can be uh can create uh, a more structured in, well infrastructure around yourself and around your business So anyway, my plan is to get... uh, So right now, I am going on a writing retreat this weekend. I need to um, outline read up two reader magnets, one for warm readers, one for cold readers, and I need to have put down a solid outline for book two. The reason I need to do that is because I usually outline three times before I start writing because I come up with better ideas because my first idea is never the best idea. Um, and when I say outline, I mean that very, very loosely. I have one like A3 page And some (laughs) post-its. That is it. If it doesn't fit on the post-its, it doesn't fucking go on. Um, So, yeah. I am also hoping that this second book will be faster because I'm no longer world building. I've already established the world and created the characters. So now I can use the characters in the second book. Um, And so. Yeah, uh, like uh, I know I know what it is that I'm doing. I know kind of where everything is set. So I'm hoping that it will be faster anyway. So my plan is, yes, as I was saying, I'm going to finish the audiobook first because I'm super close. I literally only have four sections and I didn't get to it this week because uh, I was finishing the book. So I'm finishing the audiobook next week and then I will be working on some marketing and uh, sort of prep for the launch of the first pen name book. I'm going to have to do some uh, reader magnet writing, but I'm hoping that's not gonna take very long. And then I'm going to be working on getting the first, the second book done as fast as humanly possible. If I can do all of that before the end of the year, it'll be a fucking miracle. But (laughs) if I can't, it's gonna slip into January, uh, at which point, I'm hoping that by the end of January, I should be working on the nonfiction. It might slip into February, uh, but it won't be too much longer. And I am hoping that sort of by the end of February, that book will be written. So I will still be able to release it in the early part of next year. So a little pause, um, but as always, hopefully I will be able to bring you some lessons, even though I might not be able to talk about the pen name specifically, I'm hoping to be able to bring you some lessons about what I learned about starting from zero. And I'm going to go back and take David Gochran's uh, starting from zero course as well. So if you guys haven't done it, it is a free course and I'm gonna go back and refresh myself because hey, like, yes, okay, I've been in this industry a long time, but you know we can all learn stuff, we can all get reminders and and be refreshed on this stuff so Alright, I'm going to stop there on my personal update and we are going to do Rebel of the Week. Rebel of the Week this week is Bear Kloss. Bear says, at the start of my current job I pretty much immediately fell in love and enjoyed working at the company I was hired at. I thought they had a good ethos, good work environment, the pay was considerably competitive uh, uh, than any other part-time retail jobs I'd searched for. The manager was super chill and understanding and so far I loved the team I was working with. Back in early January I found out my job was looking for a new full-time hire since one of our previous full-time hires had moved on to a new job knowing i'd become one of the better performing team members and one of the second most tenure of the team i threw in my resume the first to apply mind and hoped for the best not long after january of the 10 team members on our team eight were gone by the end of february including our manager which put myself and our then assistant store manager scrambling to find new hires. Then, my then part-time demanded full-time hours, hour shifts to cover for the lack of people. So for all of February, I was working overtime. On top of this, our company was in the midst of a highly competitive campaign, which made it so that I had to put in more effort than I usually do, which in this case, I didn't mind too much, uh, too much become I'm I'm competitive and I was fairly certain I was going to get the job but because of the chaos of all my co-workers leaving we were thrown into a weird transitional period and my resume uh uh-oh got lost in the fray and unfortunately by the time I was given an interview it was a courtesy interview (gasps) since they had already given the full-time position to someone else mind the hire was the fourth person to have applied after me I love my love and respect for my job plummeted and after all the work and effort I'd done to keep our stores up and running busting my chops and losing sleep I felt crushed since my job was given to someone else who who I have no ill will towards she's a sweetheart I've stopped giving a fuck during my free time I have at work instead of putting in my usual 110% I now give about 45 to 50% and spend the rest of my time writing blogging researching doing online classes and never allowing myself to come in on days off to help cover shifts like I used to. And in the process of no longer giving a fuck because my company didn't seem to give a fuck about me, I've managed to skyrocket my word count and have been much more creatively fulfilled and happy. Fuck retail companies. Oh my God. I hate this for you because like, I, I just, it just reminds me so much of what I hate about being employed or what I hated about being employed because it's just, always this faceless fucking bureaucracy where nobody takes responsibility for anything. And look, of course, I'm now just going off on a rant, uh, because not all companies are like this. There are obviously some lovely companies out there. But you know, I, I do find a lot of people experience this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, there's there's a paperwork or it has to go in this order or there's some fucking HR policy. And I'm just like, it's all bullshit. Like treat your staff with fucking respect. And your staff will give you Like everything, it's just common fucking sense. So yeah, I'm really sorry that you experienced that. And I'm really delighted to hear that you're feeling more creatively fulfilled, of course, because I'm wildly biased. It really does annoy me. Okay, if you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, and listen, we are always, always in need of these stories. I cannot explain to you. Every week I know I say it, but it's because it's true. We actually do need the stories. If you would like to send in uh, and be a Rebel of the Week, If you would like to be an anonymous Rebel of the Week, I always want to say this as well. If you don't want your name, I don't have to read out your name, so you can send me a story anonymously if you would like. Uh, But please do send in your stories. They can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. You can email your story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. No new patrons this week, but a gigantic thank you to all of my existing patrons. You guys really are uh, so fantastic for supporting me. Those of you who've just joined, those of you. Who've been supporting for a long time? I really appreciate all of you. You helped keep the show running and also make me feel like what I do is worthwhile. So thank you so, so much. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life. Kobo Writing Life is Kobo's free, fast, and easy self publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors, and their team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. Kobo has made it easy for authors to reach new readers with direct audiobook upload. Authors can publish their audiobooks right in their KWL account as easily as they can publish an ebook. You can create customizable table of contents, set the price in 16 different currencies, and even set up a pre order for your audiobook with no date limitations. We don't ask for exclusivity and you will always control your pricing. We also provide a lot of promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors and their audiobook titles. We're really pleased to be able to increase opportunities for authors and help them grow their audiobook sales in this new exciting market. If your audiobooks are published directly, email the team at kobo.com forward slash writing to make sure you're in the loop about upcoming audio uh, audio promo opportunities. Don't forget you can purchase audiobooks on kobo.com and they will download directly to your Kobo app. So all your ebook and audiobooks are available in one easy app. You can start your free audiobook trial today. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out their blog and podcast and find them on social. You can create your free account at kobo.com forward slash writing life. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm super excited because we have none other than Sarah Cannon. Sarah is the indie author of more than 25 young adult contemporary fantasy novels, including her best selling Shadow Dra- Demons saga. I nearly called it Dragons then. I got very excited. And that I also <laughs> much prefer demons as well. I like vampires. Anyway, her novels often stem from her own experiences. Wait, with demons? Growing up in a small town of Hawkinsville. My wife's. Oh, no, I better not tell you that. I'll tell you that after. Georgia. <laughs> I'm going to do this again. Hang on. I got too excited (laughs) reading all the things, right? Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am ridiculously excited because we have none other than Sarah Cannon. Sarah is the indie author of more than 25 young adult contemporary fantasy novels, including her best-selling Shadow Demon Saga. Her novels often stem from her own experiences growing up in the small town of Hawkinsville, Georgia, where she learned that being popular, always comes at a price and relationships are rarely as simple as they seem isn't that the truth with over three quarters of a million books sold sarah is also passionate about helping fellow authors learn to self-publish in a way that puts joy and creativity at the forefront she is the host of the successful youtube channel heart breathings which is how i found you where she focuses on productivity and building positive momentum she currently lives in Dal- in the Dallas area with her supportive husband and two beautiful children. Hello and welcome. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. This is <laughs> no, be fun. I'm excited too. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. And like before we dive into planning and um your like world of playing, HB90, um, could you Like, just give me a journey, like a story. Like, where have you come from? How did you get to where you are today? How did you fall into the world of creativity and writing? You know,
1: I fell in love with reading so early. I grew up in the most, like, creative space because I grew up in a log cabin that my dad built in the middle of the woods. So it's, like, so witchy in terms of I grew up in nature. We didn't have any air conditioning, growing up in Georgia and Georgia is very, very hot. And so it was hotter in the house than it was out in the woods under the canopy of the trees. So we spent just me and my sister and brother spent all our summers in the woods oh, and wow. running around and making up stories. And we would you know, create little houses out of fallen tree limbs and stuff like that. And we would tell each other stories at night. And it was just storytelling was always a part of my world. And then because we kind of lived outside of a very small town, there wasn't a lot to do. (laughs) I didn't have friends to play with. I didn't grow up in a neighborhood. So it was really just reading was my escape all the time, always. And so I kept journals and I wrote a lot, but then I kind of also was a talented singer. And so when I went off to college, I was like, what do I do? Do I sing or do I try to be a writer? And I decided the singing was something I needed to do younger and try to get a start at. So I double majored in opera singing of all things, <laughs> and uh, not creative writing, but just English. And I tried to follow and pursue that opera stuff, and it's it's kind of interesting because of the rebel author here, uh, because I realized I didn't like following anyone else's stage direction and the way that they always did things was telling you. Go and listen to this recording of someone from 50 years ago, and I want you to sing it just like that. And it's like, yeah, but where's my creative? And you start to understand as a new opera singer that you don't really have any creative freedom and I just hated it so I quit and taught music for a while and then my current husband when we met playing a video game online (laughs) of all places to meet someone um he was like I want you to move in with me and you can quit your job and do whatever you want for the next five years what do you want to do and I was like I want to be a writer and he's like come and be a writer like oh my greatest gift of my life
0: (laughs) That is
1: incredible. Everyone thought I was completely crazy. I was just coming off of a divorce and everybody was like, oh, this is such a rebound. You're quitting this, you know, elementary school teaching job that's so stable. You're leaving your whole family behind. You're going to regret this for the rest of your life. Not true.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely not true. Best decision ever. <laughs> yeah, it was, oh, wow. it was definitely
1: the best. So, you know, I started writing and it took me years to learn how to write a book and how to stick to it. And, you know, I thought, oh, it's this is going to be so fun. And then it's like, how do you write? How do you write? I don't know. I don't understand how stories are told. And so it took a a few years to really even learn and a lot of stops and starts. And so then I started publishing and the more I became passionate about indie publishing, the more I started to talk about it. And the more people came to me asking, how did you do this? Can you tell us? And uh, the more popular indie publishing became, the more I realized there was a lot of advice out there about don't write what you love. You need to write for money. And although there are a lot of people that that resonates with them and that's all they want out of this, there are also a lot of people that want both. (laughs) How do you make money writing what you love? And so I decided to start a YouTube channel and that led to heart breathings and so much more than I could have ever imagined out of this career and this life. So it's, it's been a, a journey for sure, but it's been a good one.
0: I think it is such a um, pivotal moment in a writer's ca- career when they realise that the joy has been sucked out for them. Like, that. I literally, my newsletter that goes out tomorrow is about the fact that, like, where the fuck did the joy go? Because, mm-hmm. like, I have been writing for so long with a stick up my ass, like, trying to do the thing that I think I should be doing instead of the thing that I want to be doing. And lo and behold, the minute you take the rod out of your butt... Like one, you can write faster (laughs) (laughs) Two, like it just like all the joy pours back in. And like it's been a slow realization over the course of this year, like last year with my mailing list, I was like trying really hard and like it was just making it so difficult. And then in January, I reread um, Tammy Lebrecht's book and then I read her new book. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? So I just like started telling stories about my week and like taking the piss out of myself and using my nonfiction voice, which is how I talk. And um, lo and behold,
1: like, my open <laughs>
0: rates shot up and like I started enjoying them. And now it's easy to do it. And I love it. And I love the responses and, you know, all the rest of it. And it's the same for for writing. But like, for some reason, I feel like we put so much pressure on ourselves to either like make all the money or do the thing that we should be doing, and like yes, like it is important to know your market and to do the right tropes and and to meet the reader's expectations. But it's also important to remember that we came to this to have a bit of fucking fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like well, and the fact that joy is magnetic.
1: So when you pour your joy into it, there's a magical energy. I'm a, a kind of a witchy person anyway, so I just believe in that unseen energy. But I think when you are are writing just for I got to get it out, you know, for whatever reason, I'm burned out, I've I've got to do this out of responsibility, or I'm not writing what I really want to write, because everybody told me this is how I have to publish, or this is what I have to write. I never want anybody to feel judged by me saying that, because I know there's just some people that have to do what they have to do. But at the same time, it's like, the joy is magnetic, the joy is a piece of it, you know, and if you're going to do this, at least put your heart into it, you know, and, and what I want to do I feel it's like such a strong mission for me is to say, you can have both.
0: Oh, oh. chef's kiss. I love it. <laughs> I want both. I want it all. No, i uh, No, I'm not kidding. Number one competition. I do want it all. Um... Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was listening to uh, the Black Heron with you and oh, Rachel yeah. and I was like, oh yeah, okay. The, um, the competition there. I can see that. <laughs> Being a motivator.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I invited you on because you are without doubt the queen of planning. <laughs> um, and so I know I, I hope it's okay to say that you're number one futuristic. Uh, everybody drink who's listening. Um so but you have your own planning system and your own planning methods. A lot of my friends have taken your courses. I think you've got more than one course, haven't you? You've got There's two. There's mm-hmm. two. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about your, like, planning. What is, like, how do you plan? How do you plan your writing? Um, and, yeah, maybe, like, how you came to doing that? How, how long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, you know, I...
1: It's another thing just from childhood, you know, I always loved, I think it's part of growing up in a family full of teachers, like my mom, her sister, everybody's teachers. And so they come home with all these workbooks and worksheets and I I'm number five learner. So, or number four learner. So I'm always about the school. I've always loved school and color coded things and studying and stuff like that. And so I think that is part of the fun of being a writer for me is I love to plot and have the index cards. And I have a huge wall that I plot on that has the three act structure and I use sticky notes and everything else. And I just really love that because I'm very visual and if I can see it on the wall, I can get so much more motivated and get my ideas out than if I'm just stuck in my head, trying to think it through. And so I, put poured that planning into my writing. And then when I really burned out and couldn't, I was so depressed in 2016, I couldn't get a word on the page, just struggling. And it was really, unfortunately, it was the height of my success as an author. It was like the, the best income year. And I think there was some part of me that was, didn't feel I was worthy of that. And so really kind of fell into a dark hole of, I can't keep going because my self-image doesn't match up with what the outside world is saying right now. And so I had to really go deep. And And this is something I think also nobody tells us about the writer journey is especially... When you're indie publishing you're an entrepreneur and the entrepreneur journey is really one of self-discovery as much as it is of marketing and all of those other things and so sometimes you run across things you don't expect and what got me out of laying on the couch all day watching investigation discovery and other true crime shows and eating oreos all day was planning i stumbled across a couple youtube videos and was like oh my gosh like There are planners out there now that are creating these colorful custom things. Whereas the last time I had been in a Staples, the only thing I could get for a planner was like either something that had a lot of Bible verses and a bunch of flowers, which wasn't really my style, or something that was very masculine and meant for corporate America. And nothing really spoke to me. And so seeing planners on YouTube and going to Pinterest and seeing all this color and washi tape is when I discovered that and everything else, I was like, oh my gosh, this sparks something inside of me that makes me think about how I can get my life together. And it's funny to think paper planning products could do that for you, but it it really did. And so I started thinking, okay, if I can create something that's visually appealing, that feels fun to me, maybe I can get my excitement back for writing. And so I started you know, pulling out every color of sticky notes that I had in the closet and putting my plot on the wall, putting my to-do list on the wall. And that was kind of the beginning of the the planning process for me. And it was both for my writing and for the marketing and business side of it all.
0: Uh, yeah. And I'm definitely going to ask you about that because I I love planning. Love it. Like it's like crack to me. And, <laughs> and then... I never look at it again. (laughs) I veer completely off it. And then a few weeks later, I go through the whole thing again. And it's just like, I just can't. And then I like always get overwhelmed because I just ignore the plan. And I don't know what's wrong with me or why I do that. But anyway, so I'm definitely going to ask you about that. And also about... um... Uh, layering things because I, I don't know I don't I get very overwhelmed trying to do that so um, I wonder if we could talk about mindset what do you think um, is like the key mindset shifts people need to make in order to be able to like plan more effectively and I don't I like plan more effectively in general but also as an indie specifically like as an indie with the writing and the business and quite often we have like life responsibilities and stuff so are there any mindset things that you think are really key to help us? Oh my gosh, there's so, so many big ones. Probably the two two biggest ones
1: are understanding because especially when you're Indian, you do have this great creative freedom and this buffet of like, I can do whatever I want. There's just so many choices. And we often are looking at everybody else to see what they're doing, what's working, what's not working, you know, oh, that's really cool. Is understanding that every time you choose something, You're choosing not to do something else. And so if you were on this path where you said, I'm going to write this five book series in young adult, and I'm going to follow, you know, I'm going to use Instagram or I'm going to do this. And then you see someone say, oh, but these Kickstarters are really cool. Or TikTok is really neat. And you think, oh, I better pivot to that. That could be a good pivot for you, but you're going to have to give something else up or you're going to have to work more. Because you can't do all the things, right? So it's that understanding that
0: you... We're like 10 minutes in and you're calling me out. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Because it's it's so tempting to feel like we need to do it all. Like, what if the success that I was hoping for is over there? What if this path isn't going to get me there? But really, even as fast as... I mean, compared to traditional publishing, indie success can be very fast, but... Even as fast as it is, it often takes a long-term strategy, like staying in one place for a while to get noticed, to get, to bring people in, you know, it's like being the oak tree who's standing here firm and letting people come, come to you instead of chasing it. And I think that when we go chasing, a lot of times we're taking on like 10 times more than we can do effectively. So then we do things half ass Or even quarter ass (laughs) or not at all. You know, it's like, it's an idea that barely gets off the ground. And when we look at people that are doing TikTok, we may think, well, yeah, so it's short form video. I could do that and not understand that it's actually like 20 hours a week they're putting into that, you know, Um, same thing with YouTube. It's like, I did not realize how much time would go into YouTube and it's been, worth it for me, but I wouldn't have been able to put up four or five videos and get where I am now. It's 350 videos to get where I am now. And that's a huge time commitment. So it has meant less books. And that's, you know, those are choices that I have to make. If I decide I want to create a course, that means I'm not writing during that time. And I think sometimes we can get so swept up in the present and what we want right now, that we don't think far enough out that we can see what's the what's the trajectory of this. If I start TikTok or if I start this new marketing thing, what does that look like in six months? All we see is the, oh, here's the opportunity, and we jump at the opportunity. So that's one of the big mindset shifts. It's just understanding that whatever you choose to do, you have to give something up. Like you're you're you have to understand there's a balance of priorities there.
0: Yeah. And I think everyone's probably going to like teeth suck at me or like, you know, really hate me for what I'm about to say. But (laughs) like, I do feel very strongly that we come to indie publishing seeing the dream of like writing all day. And we genuinely think that like, that is a thing that we can all do. And that is the goal. And the reality is that the writing Is like, if we are lucky, it's 50%. If we're lucky, because there is just so much, like, you can't, you can't, you have to pick a method of getting your books out there. And whatever method that is, it is going to take up a huge portion of your time, whether it's YouTube or Facebook ads or whether it's being on TikTok or running a podcast, like, whatever happens, whatever your marketing method is, like, it is a horrible truth that it is (laughs) going to take up a bit big portion of your time. And there is no, unless you are like Stephen King or, and even he has to do shit, you know, but like, unless you, unless your model literally is book a week, pumping them out, um, and you've got somebody to help you manage your ads, then the chances are you are not going to ever write all day, every day. And actually, honestly, I do think that maybe we shouldn't do that anyway because like it's quite hard on the creativity you know it's quite a drain you need to create some energy for your for your creation as well as you know and some of that is about the downtime in doing the other things so yeah I think that's so true did did I I think I interrupted you though halfway I think you were telling me too weren't you yeah so the second one I would
1: say is there there are so many mindset shifts that can be helpful but I think the other one is just getting off your own back and saying like it's okay if it doesn't all get done, <gasps> you know, how dare you? I, <laughs> because, you know, like HB 90, we set goals. We decide what projects are going to get us to that goal. And then we break those down into tasks and I put them up on my wall. I'm going to kind of, as <laughs> we're here, um, you know, I'm pointing toward my wall because I have all these sticky notes up on the wall that I can see. I never clear them all off in a quarter but I almost always hit my goals. And so it's understanding too, that as long as you're making forward progress, it's gonna be enough, you know, it's gonna be enough. You don't have to get it all done. So don't like take, take some time to celebrate the wins and say, wow, I actually did finish that book. Instead, I think so many of us get really, really hard on ourselves and say, well, I finished the book, but it was two weeks late and I didn't have as many sales as I wanted. And I really had wanted to do this other thing. And I was going to do this newsletter campaign. And then we're just disappointed in ourselves where the fact is you published a book, you did an amazing job. You sold a, a thousand copies. Like what, what are you so upset about? Because I think that that getting hard on ourselves is part of what leads to negative spiral where we just continue to think it's never enough, it's never gonna be enough. Whereas if you stopped and said, okay, I only got half my tasks done this quarter, but I actually hit some of my big goals that I've been trying to do. I actually got a project done that I've been working on for a year. That is huge. And celebrated it and allowed ourselves to feel excited by it. Then how does that energy carry you forward more than beating yourself up? And I think for some of us, depending on how you grew up, beating yourself up does carry you to a degree, because it's like, you know, get it done. What are you thinking? You're never going to mount to anything. It can take you to a certain level, but I think none of us ever reach our full potential by being hard on
0: ourselves. Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely one of those people that would do anything for spite. (laughs) Like I'm definitely fueled by it, I'll show you, <laughs> but but I do I think that is a little bit to do with strengths as well. I think there are definitely some strengths that are more attuned to that than than uh, there are others. But Becca would be the, the pro to answer yes, that question. Yes. <laughs> do you do it? Becca. Do you do it
1: to yourself though too? You know, like uh, if you say because you know there could be that idea of using someone else not thinking that you could do it or still having this part of you that says oh, you didn't do enough. It's not enough. But also kind of having that piece of yourself that says, but I actually did, you know, Yeah. so you could, you could find a way I think to play with that.
0: Yeah. So I have self-assurance. So I'm always like, I know I can do it. (laughs) So it's yeah. For me, it's definitely about having somebody else say you can't do that, and then I'm like, watch me, bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the in, so I think then that's aligned with what you're saying. The internal message is right. It's just finding the right external person to say you can't do it, and I'm like, okay, let's go. <laughs> and may, maybe it's about
1: announcing a goal that's bigger that you know people are going to think you can't.
0: Yeah, yeah, can't def- achieve.
1: Yeah, 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 I
0: definitely, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I thought, you know, I love accountability and, and, and like we do some rebel challenges and stuff. So yeah, there's definitely... A little bit of that. Okay, all right. What are the basics an author needs to know in order to be able to plan effectively? Like, do we need to know how long it takes, like how long it will take us to write a book, our words per hour? Like, what if we're just starting? Um, should we should we actually start planning by tracking? I don't know. Um, and if we don't have that data, how on earth do we know what's realistic?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because it is going to be so unique and individual to how you work. Because for some people, I, I have writer friends that can hit deadlines, like nobody's business. Like you give them a deadline, they can figure out exactly how many days they need to, you know, how many words they need to write per day and they can get it done. I'm not like that. Like there's no level of pre-order or external deadline that can make me come up with a plot fast enough to hit a deadline. So what I've understood about myself is that I can't, when it comes to planning, I can't necessarily plan exactly how many words I'm going to write or when a book is going to come out. I plan using what I call a game board strategy, which is this idea of kind of dominoes, you know, or like moving things down the board. When this part of the puzzle gets finished then I can move on to the next piece. But I don't necessarily know. I can kind of project out and put up the sticky notes to say, I'm hoping this is where I'll get by the end of it. But I also try to tell myself, like, if it's not, that's okay. But I know what the steps are. And then I can say, these are the steps I'm going to follow. And this is the order I'm going to follow them in. But I may not know the timeline exactly. But there are some things that can be helpful. So I like to write in sprints. So 25 minute sprints with a five minute break in between is kind of my ideal. But I do have, um, like on my newsletter, if you sign up for free, I have this five-day word sprint challenge where it walks you through like trying different times a day, different times, like 10 minute sprints, 15, 25, trying a full hour. And then you collect data on yourself. Like when was the best time of day for you? What was the best? amount of sprint for you, break time. And then you kind of come up with what's your sweet spot. And once you know that, you can track it for a week or so of, okay, so my sweet spot is 15 minute sprints with a five minute break. I'm going to track that over time. And then I'm going to get my average sprints, like words per sprint. And from that, you can then math it. And you can say, if I estimate this book is going to be 80,000 words divided by, you know, let's say my average words per sprint is 300, you know, it's 80,000 divided by 300 gives me how many sprints I need to finish the book. And then from there, you can say, okay, if I need 125 sprints, I'm not saying that's the math there because I can't do that math in my head. Maybe I cannot. (laughs) I'm like, uh, don't, nobody count me on that. Um, But let's say it was 125 sprints I needed to finish the book. Then I can say, okay, if I do three sprints a day, I should be somewhere in the ballpark of this date, which can be helpful. But if you're still plotting or if you're a pantser, man, who knows? I mean, it might take me a couple weeks more than I expected or six months longer than I expected for that plot to come together. And that's probably the most frustrating thing, which is probably where I need Becca more than I want to admit, <laughs> because I, I think that I, there's a lot I can still learn even after you know 27 novels about how to get faster and how to get better at that plotting portion of it. Um, But that's, you know, that's a part of the planning too, is the tracking. If you're interested in that, if, if the words per sprint has nothing for you, it doesn't motivate you, then I wouldn't worry about it, but kind of um, understanding this idea of like, what are the steps that you need to follow? What, what motivates you as an individual, (laughs) what works for you? Because it's going to be different for everybody.
0: So I love that so much because um, despite having Achiever at number two, I'm actually terrible at breaking things down. So my competition driver just makes me look at the Mount Everest goal. And that is I'm like a dog with a bone. That's all I can see. And I just charge straight towards it. But what that stops me doing um, is stops me celebrating the small wins which actually gives my competition pennies and it's because all like all of my strengths are just like go 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 that's all we know like all we see it's all we all we can focus on it's just tunnel vision on the goal so um yeah I love that because I am so bad at breaking it down and it's something I definitely like want to be better at because um one of the things that I have learned is instead of saying, oh, I need to get like 8,000 words today, I get like eight lots of 1,000 words or whatever, you know, so that I can, I can tick more stuff off. And it's like, it, it makes me happier, right? It's more wins. I'm like, I, I got to take four things off today or whatever. Have you ever heard of Oh, Right?
1: Only on your podcast <sighs> with <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> I, I literally stopped the podcast and opened it on my phone. Cause oh. I was like, I gotta, I have to go look at this. Cause it's so interesting. Cause my, my husband is a programmer. And so I'm always asking him to make stuff for me. Like, could you make an app for this? Could you do this? And one of the things that we talked about years ago was, how fun would it be to create a site that was basically Word Wars, you know, where you could go in and compete against people? And so now someone else did it because obviously we never we never did it.
0: <laughs> so I'm like, oh, this would be really fun. But that would be amazing as part part of like the heart breathings community if you yeah. did that because like I've, I I have had to corral people into using it, but since they have used it, like loads of people have been surprised that they. Even if they don't have competition, like most people don't have competition, um, they've still found it uh, encouraging and motivational. But just because they're in a group and we're all working towards like a goal of everybody write more words. And so, yeah, like I do. I think it's amazing. You should totally check it out. (laughs) (laughs) So we
1: do. So Heart Breathings, we have a Heart Breathings writing community. Facebook group that also has a discord part of a discord server. And we do sprints every day live on YouTube, different admins. So we have like 12 different admins that are running sprints all the time. And that has been so huge because it's that community. It's like knowing someone's there waiting for you that, you know, after a while you recognize the names of everybody who's there and you know what they're working on. And so that, that has been such a huge thing about community is having other people there for you that, you know, can write at any time. So if anybody wants to come join us there, that's fun too. But I I think the, in that, in that setting, we cheer everybody on whether you got 10 words or a thousand words Mm -hmm. Um, with the, Oh, right. It's kind of like, you still cheer everybody on. But I I do think for me personally, that would be a really big motivator for me to try to get them as quickly as possible. Okay. I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to get in there. So I'm gonna to have to try it. Maybe you and I will have to make a group, yeah.
0: and we'll we'll yes. see. <laughs> oh, I am so there for that, a hundred percent. Just tap me up. We'll we'll do it. Um, okay, so here's something that I struggle with. I know now, thanks to strengths, how long it takes me to write a book. Roughly, I'm still passing out quite how long it takes me to edit, but I, I have a fairly good idea, which means I have quite a good idea of how long it takes me from first word on the page, well, from 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 the the longest bit, which is the plotting bit, to the first word on the page to publishing it. Um, but what I struggle to do is plan much further out than about the next two books. So how long should we be planning for? Because there's part of me that's like in this constant state of inattention because I want to know what I'm doing in the, in a year's time. And, you know, I've just had a, a big calendar delivered and, you know, I need to know all of the things for the next five years, the next year. But then, you know, then I also struggle to actually see and give any detail to anything more than about a book or two away. And I think some of that is about being a parent to an eight-year-old and some of it is just because there is just so bloody much involved in getting a book from first word to publication. So like, do you have any advice for like how far do we plan? like how much how much detail do we add? Like, yeah, how do we plan more effectively? So this is something a lot of people
1: ask since I teach mostly 90 day planning people like, yeah, but then what do you do for the year? How do you do? So I'm actually going to be doing a long-term planning, like mini course at the end of this year. And I'm excited to talk about it because I'm, I'm that futuristic person. So I'm always thinking like way far out into the future. And that gives me a lot of excitement. And, you know, I think, some people can be paralyzed by thinking too far out. So again, it's sort of like knowing yourself, if if it's gonna make you feel too stressed to feel like, oh, I have to commit to this one genre for this long, you know, then maybe it's not your thing. But if you feel like just for the sake of being successful in this business, that you need to kind of have some sort of view farther out in the distance, I think that it can be helpful to really look more like five years out, Understanding that the industry is going to change between now and then, because it just always does, who knows what will happen, but just also thinking, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? What do I want to be known for? If my greatest massive success came out in the next five years, what would I want that to look like? And start thinking along those terms of like, who, like even just doing a quick sort of check in with your future self and almost like a meditative experience for me when I do this of sort of going far out. I got this technique from um, Tara Moore has this, a book called playing big, and it's really about women playing bigger in the marketplace, you know, and, and really allowing ourselves to think, think big. And it was a really, really good book, I thought. And she has this meditation in it of going almost like you're going to imagine that you go all the way out into space. And when you come back down, you're five years in the future or 10 years in the future, and you're visiting your future self and really thinking, what does that person look like? What does she sound like? What, you know, what, books? Are they writing, you know, and just have a little conversation. And I think that can be super helpful. And also just really thinking it can help so much with figuring out those priorities I was talking about, because it's like TikTok, I'll just use that as an example. Cause everybody's talking about, you should be on TikTok, whatever. Um, it's like TikTok could be a great opportunity right now. And it's not like just because you do it, you have to do it forever. But if you were to project that out five years from now, is that really part of who you want to be? Is that part of how you want to be spending your days? Is that the brand you want to put out there? Is that sound fun to you for long, you know, long term? And if not, maybe it's not worth it to do it right now either. You know, maybe you're not really the person that's going to take off there because it's not something that seems fun for you. And I think sometimes pushing that view out further than just this quarter or what the opportunity is can sometimes clarify whether it's right for you. And the same can be true when it comes to what genre you're writing, because the number one thing, so my other course that I have besides HB90 is Publish and Thrive, and it's for people that are just starting out really in their self-publishing journey. And... The number one thing that people get upset about is when I tell them to they should pick one genre and stick to that one genre, one series for as long as you can, because everybody wants to write everything, (laughs) but I love mystery and I love this and I want to write romance and it's, they all want to start three or four pen names. And you know, that sounds exciting and it sounds doable for some, oh, I can write four books a year or whatever, but then you start. Thinking about sustaining that over the course of the next five years and how, like, if you compared writing four different pen names over the next five years versus what if you just focused on one, you can really start to understand the logic behind sticking to that one and really, you know, or you might say, you know what, I don't care if I blow up and have great success. I just really want to write all these genres and it might clarify those priorities for you. So I don't know that there's really an answer to how long should you be thinking out, but I do think it can be really, really helpful to be thinking about five years out. And then in terms of your publishing, maybe the next two years, or as long as the current series that you're writing, you think that will take. So you have like four books in a series. Is there more coming to that one?
0: No, no. The one that I've just, the one, oh no, no. Oh, how do you know that? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I'm um, I'm I'm moving under a pen name <laughs> during the exact ah, thing that you said. You said. However, no, <laughs> the no, reason should. no, no, the reason I'm doing it <laughs> is because so so um I've got a young adult novel that I've written that I think I'm going to query. Um, I'm not 100 sure uh because I really am not sure I'm comfortable qu- with the trad model, but also um it just kind of fits more that than what I'm doing. But what I am going to do is a pen name and everything about the stuff that I'm writing fills me with joy. So it's like, I want it to be completely pressure-free. All of the fun with zero expectations from anybody because nobody knows what I'm doing and like mm-hmm. obviously the readership like as I build the readership they can have expectations but they won't know who I am and like that is so freeing and I uh, and it goes back to what I said at the start which is that I finally taken the rod out of my butt and I'm really pouring in all of the catnip that I want in books into these books and like it's just it's just so much better and like even if this doesn't work fine fine if it doesn't work fine I will cut the pen name and I'll go and try something else and I will keep trying until I find the thing that works um just because yeah, I don't know. Will I continue writing young adult? Probably, probably, because I love it and I've read it since I was a child. Um, do I want to make that my focus right now? No, I don't think so. But um, that's only because I'm having so much fun over here. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, and like I'm playing, I'm I it's so hard because I've obviously tried not to really talk about it, but like I'm I'm writing things that I Just haven't given myself permission to really do. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, no. But, but saying that, I am sticking here for like, like I've decided that this is the experiment that we're going to run and we're going to, we're going to give this a really good go. But I feel more comfortable doing that now because I'm faster because of Becca. Like, if I was still taking, Like the last book took me like four years to finish because I just got, I was just in a massive hole. There were a whole load of like basements with all my strengths. And so it was just like, anyway, and now I'm writing a book in like three weeks. So like, it's completely different. It's good. Yeah. It's a completely different experience. And because I can write quickly, well, it's like, it's not through because I have all the pre-work and then the edits and, you know, whatever, but like that bit of it is fast. But that makes the experiment easier to do because I'm not, I know I'm not going to be taking two years to get a book finished, which is what, yeah. you know, what. so that makes it easier to experiment. Um, but also equally, I know that I have to stick in this lane for a little while to like give it, give it a good go. So that's why I kind of asked that question. Cause I'm like, you know, this is, this is two or three years. I've got to be writing A good amount of books before I give up. Well, not give up, but you know, if it doesn't work, it will work. Yeah, you know, early in my indie
1: career, um, RWA at the very beginning, didn't acknowledge indies at all, but that at the time was kind of the big writers conference that I was going to. And when they finally sort of gave their approval to, we're going to have allow indies to sign books at the signing and some other things like that. I think it was 2012 when they started that, or maybe 2013. I had, I went to a conference or one of the workshops with Barbara Freethi and Bella Andre, who were two of the best-selling indies You know, both had come from trad and now we're like, Barbara Freethy may still be one of the best selling indie at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, like millions of books. And what Bella Andre said was that when she decided she was going to do it, she said, I can write a book every four months. So I'm going to give this two years and that'll be, you know, six books. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it six full books and I'm going to project out that far. And I'm going to follow this kind of marketing plan. And no matter what happens, if I sell zero books, if it doesn't seem to be gaining momentum, I don't care. I'm committing to this. And that ended up being like super wise. And that really meant something to me back then because I thought, you know, um, also talking to another friend of mine who had an urban fantasy series that it took till like book six before she started really selling and then she sold and she was making almost seven figures a year and on a series that took a very long time to get started and I thought you know, this business is not always linear it's not always predictable on launch day if this is going to be a success or not, and sometimes you have to give it some time and I think, especially if you're a new author starting now you got to understand that unless you're like following the trendiest things and doing all throwing a lot of money at advertising, or, you know, all the right people it's going to take some time, you know? And so the more you're throwing spaghetti at the wall and ping ponging genres, the harder it's going to be for readers to really connect with you and find you. And that may be a difficult thing to hear, but it it can be true. But like, I would never tell someone stick with a series you're not loving to not write this, you know, thing that you're filling yourself with joy. Cause I think that's, you're probably going to find that you're much more successful even than you have been so far because
0: you're enjoying and loving what you're writing. Absolutely. And, and I know how to write to, to a trope now, you know, like the first series is all, I, I think a lot of authors, they put too much into the series They try to do all of the things in one book. And it's just, you know, and, and I wrote without a very good plan. for the end of the series and it just so you know like it I just I I had to commit and end it so I did but um yeah like I just I need I need to do something else but I do I don't know like I love YA I love reading YA there's just something so hopeful in it and something so magical about that period in a in a person's life where they do work out who they are and like I still love that and I still read that all of the time so can Yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine that it will be the um, it will be the the. I it won't be the last. Also, because I want to write queer young adult books, and so yeah. that will pull me back for sure. Yeah. That will pull me back. Um, but also there's a darker side that wants to write something else right now. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> um, okay. So you you've kind of talked and alluded to a little bit about um doing too many things. And, and uh, I am so good at that. It is like my one best skill. It's like my party trick. I say yes to everything. And then I'm like, fuck, why did I say yes to that? You know, and then I get shafted later down the line. I'm also a chronic wishful thinker and I overestimate. Um, I'm I'm getting a lot better at that now because of some of the things that you said earlier in that I track and I have data that tells me exactly how long it takes me to write this many words, exactly how long it takes me to do this, that and the other. But it's taken some time to get there. Um, I'm still really good at underestimating, though like some of how long the admin and stuff takes. So I just wondered, how can we um, be better at recognizing these types of things and planning for them? And similarly, one of my patrons, CJ, says, how do we plan for the unknown? Mm -hmm. So like, is there anything else we can do other than just allowing ourselves more time? Like there's always something that comes up that you don't expect. So like, how can we be better at planning for that? Yeah. So there's, there's really
1: two, two prongs to it. (laughs) One is like you said, the tracking and the understanding because like, it almost never fails that people think like, let's say we're taking 90 days at a time. You think I've got 90 days. I've got three full months. I can do this much in a month, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But then you forget that it's Thanksgiving or you forget that, Oh, I've got you, like you have an eight-year-old I forgot that they've got this thing and this thing and a softball and picture day and this other, you know, so there's all these things that we don't think about, or I forgot that our family's going on vacation during this time, or, oh yeah, I forgot that I also have this other commitment. And we, we don't really take a realistic look at our time. We think we have way more time than we do. And then we underestimate how long things are going to take. So we say, oh, I I can, maybe with your books, you have it down. But like you said, with the admin stuff, it's like, how, how long does it actually take you to do the podcast? Or how long does it actually take you to do the admin that goes along with your taxes or your Facebook ads or whatever you happen to run or do? And when you really look at it and you sit down and you put estimates on it, sometimes what you'll find is that you've been trying to cram Mm -hmm. you know, 4,000 hours worth of work into 500 hours, and it's just never going to work. (laughs) And when you don't really think about it in terms of realistic, even if nothing else came up and it was just the way life is, we're still probably doubling what we think we have available in terms of what we're putting on our plate. And it can be really a mourning process to even look at that. So a lot of us don't. Because it's like, uh, if I really looked at it, I knew I would have to cut some things back and I don't see anything I can cut back. But where, where that becomes toxic is that, okay, so I can't cut it back. So <laughs> Sasha's like, I'm going to do it. Don't tell me I can't do this. Sarah. Um, you know, <laughs> so then we, we think we can, we can, okay, I'm not going to look at that. I'm just going to get it done. But then what happens is we fall behind, we get overworked, we get disappointed in ourselves. And again, we start that negative mindset spiral of why am I like this? Why can't I get my shit together? Why can't I just get it done? I see all these other people doing it and it's really not even our fault. There's nothing wrong with us. It's just that we're literally putting more than humanly possible on our plate and we don't know it. So that's the first tier is like the realistic View And you have to start with that. And the way we do that in HB 90 is through task blocks, which is basically the Pomodoro or sprint method. So you take 30 minutes at a time and you think, okay, the podcast every week, how many task blocks, how many 30 minute increments does it take me to actually get that done? And then you break down each of the pieces of it. So the email that goes out, the invites, the actual recording, the edits, the uploading, the speaking to people afterward, any comments, you know, or reviews that go up, whatever, like each piece of that, how many task blocks does it really take in terms of 30 minutes? And I find it's easier to estimate when you start looking at 30 minutes than an hour at a time. And then what, if you realize it's 20 a week, that's 10 hours a week, you know, and once you really start seeing it in those, in that view, it starts to become very sobering how much you've been putting on your plate. And then the second side of that is there are going to be things, there's going to be illnesses, migraines, you know, there's going to be something comes up. That's an opportunity. Oh my gosh. I got asked to be on this podcast or I got asked to do this extra conference. I wasn't expecting. And so one of the ways that you can plan for that is you can, like she said, you can add in buffer time. So you can just create more space. But it's like, if you're already cutting so many things out, it's hard to imagine like, well, I'm just going to put extra space in because usually we're over planning still anyway. So it doesn't really create extra space, but sometimes mentally it can be like, I had a day to spare for not feeling well anyway. So it's okay. But then the other thing that you can do is you can identify which projects are really back burner projects. Like when something comes up that's unexpected, You can look at your board or you can look at your list and you can say, well, these three things are labeled as back burner projects anyway, so I can do them next quarter and it's going to be okay. And sometimes just pre giving yourself that permission to allow these three things. Like, let's say you were planning to revamp your newsletter and your website. It's important. You've been wanting to do it for six months, but you got COVID or you had some other kind of thing that had, that came up. Okay. I can do my newsletter revamp next quarter and it's going to be okay. And that instantly frees up 15 hours of your quarter. And now you can focus on your kids or your new opportunity or, you know, something, something else. So those are kind of the two, two things.
0: I love how much kindness you give to uh, yourself and to like, to the people as like part of the community. Like there's that is, it's just, nice and empowering and lovely, because like, I think so much of our time, like you said earlier, we spend like kicking ourselves, why didn't we do it? Why, why didn't we, you know, and, and because we spend so much of our time kicking ourselves whilst we're down, we then struggle to confront the reality of our time. Mm -hmm. And like, that is the hardest thing, because confronting a reality is like, that's brutal. you know, that is a hard thing to do. And it takes balls or vagina you know whatever you want to call it you know, it does because it it it's tough to say actually our time is limited and one of the one of the things that I loved about what you said earlier is that um a good way to know how far out to plan it is, is to look at how do you actually want to be spending your time in five years time do you actually want to be spending 20 hours a week doing tiktok fuck no like and if that's the case <laughs> Then like why start now? Don't just don't like you find the things that bring you joy and then yeah, do, do those more rebel, rebel against expectations. Yeah. Um <laughs> uh, okay. I, I I realize that I can't believe how much time we've already spent talking. God, I, I want to ask so many questions. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and cram in uh, just like one or two last questions. Uh the first one is um you Am I right in thinking you homeschool?
1: We did last year but now my son is in a regular school. So. Okay.
0: How the bloody hell do you do everything? <laughs> <laughs> because that is like superhuman levels of like productivity. Like how do you balance and manage being a mom? being a homeschooler or, or, you know, last year, how did you manage that in a month, still having a YouTube, still having your books, like still being a wife, still being a friend, you know, uh, how, 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 any tips or advice? (laughs) We moved 16 times last year. We moved
1: 16 times. Uh, it, It was a wild, it was a wild year. And I, you know, I really do, think that it's all about the HB90 system for me, this idea of trying to figure out, get it all on the table. Like here's all the things, you know, really pushing yourself to even go into the cracks of your mind of like, what other responsibilities do I have that I'm doing on a daily basis and say, okay, here's all of it. How long does each thing take? And it's, I think for me, I enjoy the process, but I also know how after doing it for so long, how vital it is to really put all those cards on the table of everything. Cause there's, you know, even from getting the laundry done to cleaning the house or, you know, packing up the car to move to yet another Airbnb or even the time that it takes to make decisions. So this is another, another big one is I think a lot of us plan for what we're going to do but we don't plan for the time that it takes to make the decision.
0: So I am pointing for listeners. Oh, hang on. I can't No, Hang on. This come this way. I'm pointing for listeners at my whiteboard because I have, uh, because of this new pen name, I have a whole bunch of decisions that need to be made. And like, you actually need headspace to do mm-hmm. that and some time. And I'm like, I can't make this decision right now. <laughs> so i'm just like put them all on a list here's a yeah. bunch of decisions that need making like mm-hmm. and but that feels really weird because i've spent so much of my life being very very decisive and like this is this is that. and but now i'm at capacity and it's like they got to go on a list for later <laughs> Because it's well, a decision. And,
1: and these decisions are important, you know, because whatever you decide to do for your branding or for your website or for the exact genre, or how you're going to market does affect your trajectory over time. And nothing's unchangeable, nothing's permanent, but at the same time, you want to set yourself up for as much success as possible. And, you know, even something like I do a event in my group, um, my fan group called the spooktacular every october cuz it's this year will be my 12 year anniversary of my first indie published book and so that's october 29th so it's perfect halloween we do all the witchy things and it's a 13 day celebration and it can be like okay i'm going to plan that event and i'm going to i'm going to execute it but then you maybe don't remember that you have to make time to actually decide what you're going to do on each of those 13 days? What are those giveaways going to be? What are those images going to look like? And so that has been a big part of refining my process and why I get so much done is because I make room for the decision-making time as well. And the place that I'm still failing and trying at this is the writing itself, is the decisions on what happens next in the plot. Because I find that I need I need more space, headspace, like you said, for that than I'm giving myself
0: so the interesting thing that Ellie made me do is to write down every single thing I do in order to get a book to completion and um in that list um I'm still refining it as I go because in the book that I just wrote in like a couple of weeks I got stuck twice and I had to take a day out twice to um, stop think, and so I've I had to add those things in. Um, but some of the things in there are like um, write the write the plot outline and then iterate it twice before Mm -hmm. I start writing and I'm like but I don't want to iterate it twice and she was like well do you want to write the book in three weeks and I'm like yeah and she's like well you need to iterate the plot then I'm like damn it Ellie (laughs) but like it's things like I have to allow enough time and if and okay like I'm saying three it's arbitrary um you know sometimes I only change the plot twice before but it's always because my first idea is never the best idea and I need enough time to lapse between the first outline that I do and then having that spark of, oh, I've got another idea. I can twist it this way. I can twist it that way. Um, And so it's like having that list of, have I done the mood board? Have I done, have I got a picture for each of my characters? Have I sat down with my coffee table books and looked, you know, have I gone to a museum? Like, and this shit is literally on my list. Have you gone to a museum that's relevant? Have you done that? You know, and and it's like, I don't want to do all of these things. And she's like, well, you're not going to write fast then, are you? And I'm like, well, fine, I'll go and do all the things. So, but like, <laughs> it's it's literally like, it, I almost have to like tick them off. Have I done yeah. this? Have I done this? Have I done this? And it's and it's just what you were saying about planning, except for the book. It's all those tiny little things that I know I need to do. um, Like the intellection time and the just like, I have to sit in my room in silence with a pen and post-its and it's just like torturous for all my orange my yellow strengths but I have to do it um but yes anyway so yeah like definitely like shield de- you know they're amazing but the the better faster academy is amazing I'm sure they will be able to um uh, but maybe talk to Ellie she helped me I don't know yeah. <laughs> all right I'm gutted that we have come to the end of this episode <laughs> absolutely devastated I would love to carry on talking to you um but this is the Rebel Author Podcast, so tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. I mean, this I feel like this is going to be a
1: boring answer to a degree, but I mean, just self-publishing in and of itself was such a rebellious move for me because I was in the writers' groups and everybody was getting, you know, it was, it was 2010 and it was really 2009 making that part of making that decision. And nobody was indie publishing. You know, there were, I was scouring the internet for blogs of anyone talking about it because I saw Amanda Hawking. I knew that it was a thing. And then I was trying to find anybody else. Is anyone actually making money doing this? And like, nobody was talking about it. And everybody in my life, from family to every author I knew said, this is the worst decision you're killing your career no one will ever touch you after this you know everyone said i was insane and then within a year they were all asking me to come tell them how i did it and things started shifting you know and now of course i think people feel pressure to indie publish because they see all the possibilities there and it's a bit, it's a totally different world but that was that was a huge rebellious thing it, if just leaving my comfy teaching job to (laughs) move in with a crazy guy I met on the internet, you know, um to become a writer full-time that was pretty rebellious too so but it's it, all, rebellious. it all worked out
0: <laughs> I love that I love a good romance story as well like the, the rebel romance one we had another one uh, on recently and she like moved country to me with someone it's amazing I love it I love a bit of lovely oh I mean, amazing
1: <laughs> he, he's the best we met we met at a crafting table in a game called EverQuest 2 and it was, it, I, he instantly made me laugh and Aww. I just have loved him ever since. And, and really he's also a big part of why I get as much done as I do. Cause he's a stay at home dad and, and we're real partners here. So I have to give him a little bit of a shout out too. So he's, Aww. he's a big part of it too
0: amazing oh I love it I love it um okay well would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and your courses and like anything else that you would like to add
1: yeah. So if you go to sarahcannon.com, it's S-A-R-R-A canon.com. You can find all my books and you could really go to any vendor and just look for beautiful demons. And that is my first book that I published back in 2010, but it's still the series that I'm still writing has, um it's the 12th book that I'm going to be working on coming up soon. And it's the final book of the series. So I've been writing this for a while, but you can grab that first three books in that series for free. If you want to try out some young adult witchy goodness, and then my YouTube channel is Heart Breathings. So it's just youtube.com slash Heart Breathings.
0: And you can find out all
1: about my courses and everything at heartbreathings.com.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black i'm sasha black you are listening to sarah cannon and this was the rebel author podcast next week i'm joined by john truby to talk all about the anatomy of genres so join me next time for that don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher and when you have a moment please leave a review